the day has finally come. I didn't think uh, it would be, nor did I think it would be this team. But you're listening to Bannering the Blue Shirts, and we can officially say that Lindy Ruff is not going to be a, a Rangers coach anymore. Wow. Yeah, when when this first started, the you know like the speculation and uh, reports came in. Like at first, it was like Lindy Ruff was kind of this uh, like a candidate that seemed like he was also in the mix, but that the Devils were looking um, at other stuff. And then as this developed, because it kind of came together quickly, you know, like un- it was less than a week really, and before before we knew it. You know, uh, Shayna and Kevin Weeks and a bunch of other people reported that it was a done deal that we have a new head coach in New Jersey, and it's Lindy Ruff, and that obviously means that he's no longer um, on the coaching staff of the Rangers, which, you know, is going to be reflected uh, heading into the return to play, which means he's, you know, as far as I understand it, Lindy Ruff will not be. Uh, part of the Rangers coaching staff heading into uh, the return to play, which, you know, training camps start on the 13th. And like that in and of itself is a pretty big story, Tom, because um, from what we understand in, you know, the research that Shane and I did uh, for behind the benches that, you know, Lindy Ruff was kind of at the helm of the penalty kill and seemed to have um, a lot of saying and influence over the defense along with Greg Brown. And of course, we know what the, you know, the team defense, defense analytics looks, looked like. Uh, they were really not very good. Like the Rangers were bottom, bottom three, if not bottom two, in almost every metric you can think of in terms Pretty of much. like expected goals against and all, you know, all these things. And, um, you know, shots against even strength shots, like it was just not a good, not a good overall summary of what, you know, the defense was. And we talked about this for a long time, buddy. Like this team's biggest weakness has been its defense. And my question to you is, you know, we don't know if this is a vacuum that will be filled. I'm sure the Rangers aren't going to you know, rush to even just find an interim, you know, because they have enough, they have enough bodies on the coaching staff to move forward without rough, but, you know, maybe uh, before, you know, the next season begins, they'll, they'll look at adding another uh, coach into the mix there, potentially, but, um, do you, considering how many young blue line prospects are in the mix here and how important it is for this for these defenders to develop right. Is this just a win-win-win-win for the Rangers? I think in a way it so to to answer the question, yes. Yeah. And I think I think there's a, a number of different layers to it. The first thing that I take away from this is that this is now not that it wasn't before, but it's more so now it's officially David Quinn's team. He is. Yeah. He no longer has, um, like a supervisor, a chaperone, looking over him and and and, and mentoring him and 
Um, not that he didn't have full autonomy or anything like that, but someone like Lindy Ruff, who has uh, is one of the most experienced coaches in league history, you're you're going to listen to what he has to say. You're going to uh, take counsel with him and, and be open. And in many ways, the whipping boy is gone in Lindy Ruff, and certainly we're all guilty of um, you know beating that drum, uh, myself included. And it, it's going to be um, interesting. And I wouldn't say we will take much stock of what happens in the playoffs because it's obviously a small sample size, everything going on with the pandemic throwing everything out of whack. But we're going to learn really quickly how much of an issue Lindy Ruff was or wasn't. And I think that we have enough evidence to see that he was a problem, but it's going to cause a lot of evaluation. Do they have the right personnel? Uh, Do they have to change up their systems even more? And as I look at the, the the list of coaches I'm looking you know on, on behind the benches you obviously have David Quinn who is is young in 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 this role you have David Oliver and you have Greg Brown and it's a young team a relatively inexperienced NHL coaching staff I wonder if that's a role that's going to be filled um but with that, you there are some advantages. You mentioned the amount of young D that the Rangers have. You'll have people who are, I would say, maybe have a more modern view of hockey, and that should help the Rangers as these young players who are playing the game a, a different way now. Uh, the one thing I always think of, and... I forget what podcast it was on. I think it was like 31 Thoughts. Like Jeff Merrick brings up that you have these group of players um, who grew up in a post-lockout NHL with the the uh, uh, the rule changes and how the game was played and um, taking away the, the clutching and grabbing. And they just learned to play a certain way from a very young age. And, and they've continued to play that way. So... I think there are some advantages with that when you, you grow up playing a certain way, you go through the various levels, and now at the NHL level you're you're going to be playing, you know, pretty much the same way. Um but it, it's gonna be interesting and we've seen little bits and pieces because I know that the Rangers always carrying an extra coach, you had someone who was an eye in the sky. And then you had where you added people to the bench and you sort of trying to change things up. Um, But I think this is a way for them to make progress in in the sense of you now have to do a even deeper look at what you have because it's not going to be something where people can say, oh, well, it's Lindy Ruff is the problem. Once he's gone, we can fix things. Or, oh, we have an outdated thing. Once Lindy's gone, the the problem will, 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 be, will be gone. They're going to be playing hockey, and they're going to see really quickly whether or not he, he was the problem. And I'm, I'm personally interested in that because 
this is still a developing team and it'll force them to make decisions um, sooner rather than later if they want to reach their goal. Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, I was, as you were talking, I was looking, you know, because Greg Brown, you know, you mentioned it's a relatively inexperienced coaching staff in regards to the, the NHL, you know, his first, um, you know, he was an assistant at, you know, Boston College for a very long time, and he was moved up. I think his first season behind the bench was 0405, um, and then he was moved moved up to an associate head coach role um, there. And now, you know, these past two seasons are his first seasons behind the NHL bench. He was also an assistant coach for uh, you know, Team USA's U20 team, so he has some of that international experience. But also, this all just files under he's worked with young players, um, you know, almost exclusively um, with young players. And, you know, he was at Boston College, Quinn was at BU. Um, you know, Boston College is just general, you know, the analytics are not really extensive for NCAA Division One or especially Division Three hockey, um, for that matter, for men's or women's. And, you know, the general trend is that, you know, Boston College is a good hockey team, so their their shot differential, which is one of the few metrics we can look at, is typically in the green um, when Greg Brown was there as an associate head coach. But it's hard, like it's really hard to get an idea of what his fingerprint looks like in terms of the performance of the defense. And it's also, um, you know, it's interesting and peculiar to me that he, you know, was it was a defense and shared kind of duties for the power play with David Oliver, uh, the Rangers other, uh, assistant coach other than of course, uh, Benoit Lair and Jerry Denine, who's still uh, the eye, eye in the sky with the video, um, specifically the video coach, I should say, because other teams have a specific eye in the sky coach, but it's like you said, there's, this is a, big transition like they they're going to be playing hockey games very shortly Tom and um, it almost reminds me of you know how chaotic things are you know for like the Traverse City tournament where you know there's this really brief like you practice like what is it like two two times before that gets underway and it's like yeah we have our team strategies and you know, we're going to use that. Like, it's a little further along than that because obviously, you know, they can just be like, we know how to play Rangers hockey, but there is going to be a different dynamic behind the bench. Um, and I would really be shocked if there wasn't some sort of tinkering with where the duties lie for for coaching, uh, specifically, obviously, for the penalty kill because that is something that was you know, under Lindy Ruff's purview. And now it's, there's a vacancy there because he's taken this job in New Jersey. So, um, saw a tweet come across the timeline, um, from, mm-hmm. uh, Vince Mercogliano. So Ruff is going to be joining the devils immediately. So he, he is done yeah. coaching with the Rangers. Um, so the thing I think about is in, in, looking at how the fallout of this is going to be is that fundamentally for the playoffs, the Rangers are are going to play as they always have. And I think as we go forward, 
we will see a situation where maybe the way the team is structured fits the personnel. Because if if we're going to be fair and, and when looking at Lindy Ruff, you, you just want to think of who were some of the players that he had at his disposal in, in terms of... Yeah. Like, Mark Stahl is not helping, not a great skater. Um, the question of, like, do you blame the craftsman or the tools, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, we look at this Rangers team, and it's been an evolution. Like, we can complain about how they've played, but we, long are, are the days of, you know, the Dan Girardis of the world and blocking a ton of shots and, and, and this sort of we're just going to dump and chase. Um, but now you have an Adam Fox who can really um, skate and, and move the puck along. And you have, you know, no longer have Brady Shea on the team. So you have a Jacob Truba who is someone who like likes to fire a lot of shots from, from the point. Obviously, Tony D'Angelo moving up the ice and, and creating things in transition. So there, there's, there's pieces in there that you can start to see um, where the Rangers would like to go, but the key is let you have the horses. You, you want to let them break free and run. Yeah, there's a lot. It, the Rangers' blue line is really, really interesting. And, of course, the other, the other part of this, you know, that we, you know, you kind of alluded to it by saying, you know, there's no kind of mentor role there anymore uh, over Quinn, but... Um, you know, Lindy Ruff had the one year 2017-18, um, you know, where he was a part of the previous, you know, coaching regime in New York. And then he had, you know, these, these past two seasons. So, you know, there was something of like, oh, you know, what did he inherit? Um, you know, in terms of the talent he had at his disposal. And like you said, you know, Mark Stahl, um, you know, is not the player he once was, uh, and, you know, that doesn't mean he can't, you know, a good coaching couldn't get a lot out of him. But the, you know, that's, it's a tough, tough call um, in terms of what you can do with a player like Mark Stahl at this stage of his career. And you have the overabundance kind of of, of options on the right side and the the lack of stability on on the left side and that was kind of you know uh got exponentially more interesting when the rangers decided to trade brady shea but of course you can point to you know what brady shea's development uh how much of that was on him how much of that was on the rangers coaching staff as a collective um you can look at jacob truba's first year in new york you know there's a lot of things you can point to where um, you know, there's there's enough here to make you say, all right, well, there's trying to, just like I said, we're trying to identify what, you know, Greg Brown's fingerprints might look like. You know, for, it's important to mention the Rangers had a, you know, a 77.4% uh, success rate on the penalty kill, which was, uh, you know, bottom 10 in the league. And, you know, I don't need to go through the details of what all the other... Um, you know, team de- defense metrics, even though, you know, we're specifically talking about 
those that are publicly available as opposed to the ones that teams have at their disposal. Um, but actually, while we were uh, talking, Tom, there's a little bit of an update, right? Yeah, so from Dan Rosen, um, Gord Murphy, who was an associate head coach of the Hartford Wolfpack, he's going to be joining the Rangers bench. Um, no idea if this is just for the playoffs, if it's going to be a yeah. long-term thing. Um, but, you know, for those who don't know, Gord Murphy, he uh, NHL defenseman. He played 862 games. Um so, you know, he has some experience there. He was an assistant coach with with the Blue Jackets. He worked with the the Panthers as an an assistant, worked with the Flyers, um and then joined the Rangers uh, organization with with the Wolfpack in August of 2019. Um so as an I associate guess, head coach down there, yeah. Yeah, so I guess like that's I guess at least for the temporary uh experience uh yeah, sort of an like interim plug-in. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, he's been around for a long time. He's been coaching in the NHL since 2003, and uh, like you said, he had a long, very, very long career as an NHL defenseman. I remember I had old hockey cards of him from the days, uh, like the Florida Panthers' first teams. But um, that is, you know, like like we were saying, it would be interesting to see if they could find an interim but looking in-house makes plenty of sense especially because the Wolfpack aren't back in action and this uh you know maybe Gord Murphy just kind of steps in and assumes the the jobs that were Lindy Ruffs so um we have for the time being our coaching staff but I wouldn't be surprised if things are different I don't know what you know I'm not sure what Gord Murphy's contract situation looks like so so Larry Brooks now chimes in that he'll it's a temporary filling of the vacancy. So there's that. There you go. It's great to podcast while information is happening and yeah. not like imagine how we recorded yesterday and a lot of the things we said would have been outdated and it, it's nice for a change. Yeah, it's uh well that's the thing. We could have recorded at any time in the past forty eight hours and it, things would have been like this because I think it's occurring to Everyone like, yeah, we are ramping up. We're four days away now. We're recording this on July 9th. We're four days away from a training camp that a lot of people, myself included, don't think should start because it's just irresponsible. Um, since the last time we recorded another nine uh, players have tested positive uh, for COVID in the NHL. Um, you know, we got a lot of details about what testing is going to look like um, and all that stuff that, you know, maybe we can get into. But it is, um, I mean, the foot's on the accelerator now, Tom. Like, we're getting we're getting close, so news is coming fast and furious because, frankly, it kind of has to. Um, and the fact that the Rangers have had this shake-up behind uh, the bench with Lindy Ruff is, you know, it's just one more layer. I actually wanted to ask you, I, I'm of the opinion, like, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, coaches getting recycled um, and, you know, us seeing all the same, the same old white guys getting, you know, the same chances and they're all, you know, like, how did he find this job? Oh, you know, they are best buddies, former teammates, and they know each other, and, you know, they all obviously have networks. Um, needless to say, there's a ton of nepotism going on, and 
NHL front offices and coaching staffs, which is an issue we need to be more and more aware of and vigilant of. Um, if we want to, you know, increase the diversity of the sport, it would be a good thing to not just re- have the same old tires retread all the time. But I wouldn't be surprised if things are not necessarily disaster in New Jersey uh, with Ruff, just because. I feel like he might have been exposed somewhat for, you know, for maybe being a little old-timey hockey in terms of what he was in charge of for the Rangers, um, you know, as a part of that coaching staff. And in New Jersey, he can be more of a, like a, an overseer, a manager of the different roles and things, you know, in, in the way that David Quinn and most other head coaches are. It's kind of a unique opportunity to get a fresh look at an old coach in New Jersey. So, you know, personally, I wish nothing but the best for Lindy Ruff, but it's, you know, this is a guy who's 60 now. Um, I don't even know, you know, what is this, his fourth team he's been a head coach of? Because there's Dallas, there's Buffalo. Um, I think this is his third. This is third, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think it was 97 to... Um, 2013 with um, Buffalo. He, he was in Buffalo for forever. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends from college is a Buffalo Sabres fan, and oh, you know, uh, God bless him. He he loved Lindy Ruff, and I don't blame him. I mean, a lot of the success that, and that's the funny thing. Like you look at the Buffalo Sabres, and obviously talent plays a big role in it. But out of all the coaches that they've had in in the last two decades. Ruff by far is the most successful one. And since he's been gone, the organization ha- has been a pretty big mess. And um, it's like, obviously, it's not that like Ruff was the glue holding things together, but I just find that that, that fascinating. And to your point, I-, I think it'll be an interesting look with the Devils because the one thing that you can say about Lindy Ruff, and again, it's it's couched in the you know personnel really does help, but in terms of offense, he's generally been a, a pretty good offensive head coach and, and sort of playing that. Um, you know, open, fast, and loose counterattack, which I guess would explain why he would make for a bad guy to run your defense. Um, so we'll definitely see. And to your point of the league sort of just shuffling around the same, you know, 25 to, to 30, you know, guys, uh, white guys rather, um, at some point, we're we're gonna see like, all right, this enough is enough. We, we've we've really tried to pull, you know, too much blood from this stone. Um, we we need some some new looks, and I think we'll, we'll we're starting to to see at least a a difference in mindset of um, where they're looking for coaches. Where there was a time where. You, you know, you, they weren't hiring people out of the NCAA. And I think as coaches become more important to the development of young players and, and building those relationships, even at like, you know, the the junior level, you, you may see that, you know what, we may need to get people that they don't have NHL experience, but they have experience working with, with young people um, 
and uh, you know kids. So I I, I hope we, we get some from fresh ideas because that's ultimately what will help the sport become better. And if you're just circling the drain, um, not to say that people don't deserve second chances, but like third, fourth, fifth, I mean, at some point enough is enough. Yeah. And, you know, I understand from the devil's perspective, I'm sure this looks like, you know, this is pretty safe, you know, in terms of Lindy Ruff is a known commodity. You know, he's won a Jack Adams. Um, You know, he's been around for a very long time. Uh, You know, his first year as a head coach, the NHL was 97, 98. And he, you know, went to the cup final just a couple years after that. Um, And, you know, he has a history with Hockey Canada as well. So, you know, he's, he's a name, right? Like he's someone who has those connections. It's just, to me, it's, I'm surprised that more teams don't look into, you know, like you said, that there is a trend towards, oh, we're starting to see more uh, NCAA coaches get opportunities, and that's great, but I'm surprised more teams don't think outside the box more. Like, for example, um, someone like Ralph Kruger comes to mind, right? Or even looking, hell, at just European coaches, you know, why, why we don't see more of that in general. But um, this is, one way or another, this is going to be a major storyline um, for the Rangers heading into the return to play and all this other stuff that goes on and the offseason and how everything's coming together. So it's it's kind of wacky. I still can't believe it's happened, but uh, this is something a lot of Rangers fans were hoping for. And like you said at the top of the show, uh, you know, you were guilty of maybe beating the dead horse with Lindy Ruff, and I know to some extent I was as well. Um, but I, I don't know. To me, I feel like we learn, if nothing else, we stand to learn a lot about not just Lindy Ruff here, but really David Quinn, um, and the idea of you know what was so appealing about him as as a NCAA coach is. You know this the narrative that he could work with young players specifically and that held so much intrigue right for a team that's rebuilding and uh, or building whatever the hell you want to say and now we have this okay well you know this is now his coaching staff this isn't Lindy Ruff's gone um, it's time for us to see you know some some of the the byproducts of David Quinn's New York Rangers and the way he's working with these players and developing these players and I feel like there's been enough little red flags and enough little um, little exclamation points where it's you know you know cause for concern here and there and I'd be really encouraged to see things trend in the right direction but with all that being said Tom I'm not going to put too much weight on anything that happens in terms of the return to play and the play in between the Rangers and Carolina. Cause this is just so goofy. It's so unorthodox. It's, you know, I don't know how much we should draw from the series. We, you know, when it gets underway, but, um, I'm looking more towards the, the full story of next season to get a better idea of what, what, what the character and the composition of the Rangers coaching staff really is now. Agreed. And um, I think this is a good spot to to put in in an ad break um, for uh, 
you know, whoever decides to uh, buy an ad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And just like that, um, we're back. Hopefully the ad that you listened to was something of interest or of, of use to you. Um, the other thing that we're going to talk about today, um, just because there's still so much up in the air of, of things getting finalized with, with the CBA, um, they're moving towards it being ratified, but I know that the the voting results should come out on Friday, and I would assume that you know they take care of all that nitty gritty stuff over the weekend, and then hopefully they post uh, the full CBA that you know if you want to read it. Um, but what we do have is we sort of have an outline of key dates um, for the rest of this year and the start of next season. So um, from Frank Saravelli of TSN on July 13th formally training camps open up on July 26th teams will travel to the hub cities either Toronto or Edmonton August 1st is going to be the start of the qualifying round and the timing of that it's going to be interesting because reportedly there's going to be staggering the games um, you know, like 12, 2, 4, 6, 8, and, and, and depending on, on your time zone and everything. So there's going to be a lot of hockey to watch. And the way that they're doing that is so the the qualifying round goes quickly um, because from August, between August 10th and 12th, uh, depending on, on how long the series go, we're going to have phase two of the draft lottery to see who's picking uh, first overall. Yeah. Um, then we're going to have, you know, r- the regular playoff start. Um, and then September 20th is the date of the beginning of the Stanley Cup final. October 2nd is the last potential date for the Stanley Cup final. October 6th is the NHL draft. And then October 9th or seven days after the Cup finals, whichever one is sooner, will be the beginning of free agency. November 17th, opening of training camps for 2020-21. And then December 1st, the opening day of the 2020-21 regular season. And I know that's all um, a mouthful. And I would say subject to change. Because as we've seen with the current pandemic, um, things aren't always going to plan. I know, like we talked about last show, the team that had pulled out of the NWSL Challenge Cup... Um, there was an MLS team who, who pulled out of 
and, and it's hilarious the the naming of it it's the the mls is back tournament um and there's been more positive tests and you know among players there and um it's just you have the best of plans the best of intentions but until it actually happens uh it's all up in the air and yeah it's still you know you can lay all the plans out but it's still you know everything is uncertain until it starts and even then it's uncertain you know there is there are you know uh measures in place where both the pa or the nhl either party can raise concerns about whether or not this is safe anymore um and then you know they will you know jointly consult with uh you know specialists and you know eventually at the end of the day the decision is up to uh batman which is not surprising but um yeah i mean if if enough cases come in positive you know it's there's a lot there's so much to digest here like you know teams gonna have what is it 30 skaters unlimited goalies like they're trying to be they're trying to provide as much flexibility as possible within reason um but this is this is such an unreasonable situation that i feel like whatever whatever measures they try to put in place you know a lot of them are you can tell have been done with a lot of forethought like they're trying to think about what creative solutions might look like before they're faced with unique problems. And that's kind of this the trend I took away from, you know, reading the details as they emerged from you know, Friedman and McKenzie. Um, but yeah, but the bottom line is who the hell knows what's going to happen. Um, I, for one, am, you know, I'm going to do my due diligence as, you know, someone who covers the sport. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we just never have hockey. Um, you know, finished here, and I'm sure that'll make Gary Bettman, you know, he'll have to face eating crow because he said we're going to finish this uh, before we start next year. And, you know, he was asked, like, how long would you be willing to wait, you know, to start next season? He said, you know, well, we'll have a full season next season. We'll, we could start as late as, you know, January or whatever the hell he said, I forget. And uh, I think people who make bold predictions like that during something like this, which is pretty unprecedented, uh, run the risk of looking really foolish because they can't control these forces. And that's what this pandemic has taught all of us, is we have very little control over what's happening and how other people behave and how that impacts us in our lives. And yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to unpack, but uh, we're still full steam ahead here, Tom. We're we're getting close to things looking like we're going to have hockey. And I mean, the next time we talk training camp will be underway. And that's a weird, weird thing for me to wrap my head around. As all this is going on, I just think of Kevin Bacon in animal house, just like all is well, remain calm. And, uh, but I mean, it's, it's tough because even more so on obviously we're seeing all of this on the the pro side um on the college side you've seen a lot of schools talking about how there are going to be no fall sports and 
if if anything, there's going to be no winter sports, and and if there are winter sports, that they, they'll be delayed till some point in January. Um, I know my brother. Um, he goes to to Norwich University. He's the the head equipment manager for the the hockey team. Um, I know, like he's waiting for a word from the school of, are they going to go back on time? Is there going to be somewhat a, of a delay? Um, and you know what what's going to happen with hockey? Um, but I I just think that, and and maybe I'm I'm wrong in this idea that we we saw this year that it's pretty much every team was 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 shortened to 60 games if not next year but the following year is really important because you're going to be having uh, the new seattle team come into the league why not just have a shortened season next year so that everything can in sort of reset itself that okay if we're going to start in december we're going to do 60 games so that we can space it out so that, you know, depending on health and, and you know, where we are with the virus and the vaccine and fans in the stand, that you are not putting all of these players pedal to the metal after having a shortened off season, um and, and then just do your 60 games. You have your regular playoffs you, and you reset everything. But... I mean, I guess we'll learn more once like the CBA details are finalized, but you got to figure that it was a monetary decision because everything with escrow and making sure that both sides are paying their fair share. But I, I just think with everything we've seen, it's, it's we're still moving too fast too soon. Yeah, that's the name of this Fast and Furious Franchise, the latest in the series, is too fast, too soon. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next, but I, my money is on things going pear-shaped in a hurry, um, and that's a shame for a lot of reasons. But it's a lot of little things stand out to me. You know, I know people are like, ah, players are going to get a nice bonus out of this, but like. They can't be with their families during this. There's all these restrictions. There's, you know, they're uprooting their lives. They're putting themselves at tremendous risk to do this, um, which I don't think is is talked about enough, frankly, by uh, mainstream media members and and journalists. That like, what, uh, you know, I I just I pose this question, you know. A hypothetical question on Twitter when we learn some of the details here you know where players can opt out if they so choose um, but there's a deadline for opting out and you know they have to submit like a, a written you know notice of that to the team and yada 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 and you know of course that come that coincides with all the stuff like players who test positive you know their their personal information won't be made public but of course you know if we have players who test positive, Tom, and we're expecting to see them. And there are four or five guys on, let's say, like the Chicago Blackhawks who aren't in the lineup that we were expecting to be. Like, what are we, what are we led to infer there, right? Like, the, the privacy question is a big question here, but, like, the safety question is even bigger. I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of players have these concerns. We've seen a lot of interesting commentary 
you know, from players and by reporters, you know, who have communicated with players who chose to remain anonymous. And, you know, all signs point to not everyone feels super comfortable with this. And that's the, that's the thing that's so shitty to me is we're going at this too fast, too soon, starring Vin Diesel and not everyone's ready. So, um, I, I really hope no one is being, you know, players who voice concerns, I hope they aren't being ostracized or criticized by their teammates and peers because this is this is a crazy thing that's happening in the world. And this is, you know, period, end of sentence, bigger than sports. And I know that sports has this wonderful ability to transcend things like this and bring people together and, and heal and do all these great things for us, but um, we don't have this under control in the United States of America. And I know these things are happening in Canada, that's where the hub cities are, but um, you know, North America in general does not have a good handle on this. And it would be really nice if things were going differently. And I feel like when we have things like the return to play happening and these sports coming back, it might send the wrong message to you know, the public that has become very exhausted with living life under isolation and quarantine, wearing masks and all that stuff. And I don't know, I wonder, but I won't get, I won't go too far down that rabbit hole other than to say, you know, we're getting there. <laughs> it's, it's, it looks like they, they're going full, full steam ahead. So Yeah. I think when I when I want to think about this and Sean Doolittle of the Washington Nationals I think had a perfect quote which I think sums things up personally and he says so and he's speaking about baseball here but this speaks to society as a whole in sports so he says we're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people in the US We're way worse off as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. And here's the money quote. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. And we're trying to just bring it back even though we've taken none of the steps to flatten the curve or whatever you want to say. We just opened back up for Memorial Day. We decided we're done with it. And that is it there. And sports are such a smart perspective to take on this. Like, I know we all want it, but we haven't done enough to get it. Like, we haven't earned the return of sports yet as a, you know, as a society. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, you you can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. And we are, we're, and I get it. People want a distraction, and I would say I understand that, but we're at a point in history, COVID, everything going on, um, you know, at the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all of this civil unrest and, and seeking for justice where there are things that we need to pay attention to. And I know that NBA players ha- have voiced concerns about playing in 
you know, they don't want to take away the important things that are going on. And many of them have saying we're, we're reluctantly going to play because we want to support the community. And they've decided that they're going to be donating salaries. Um, so I would hate and we haven't seen too much of it in, in history um, in terms of hockey and, and, and players um, actually dying be because of, of the action of hockey um we obviously saw earlier this year um colby cave you know tragically passed away um you know he had had a had a headache and then it, it turned into um uh, i believe it was a brain aneurysm but if you have this return to play and someone gets really sick and dies or even they get really sick to the point that their immune system is compromised beyond repair to, to being able to play sports. And people think of it, oh, it's like the cold, but it's your your immune system. It's your ability to, to breathe, your respiratory system. And you can't be a hockey player, a high-functioning athlete, if you're not able to breathe properly. I know I won't be able to look at hockey the same way ever again and i know that may sound like hyperbolic that may sound like oh you're 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 being weak about it but i think we all need to 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 question like when you look at forms of entertainment and if you know that that they're um they're they're doing things that um are, are legitimately hurting and i understand people might say well what about concussions and and fighting and the lawsuits and all that which which i agree but to that, I would say it, it's still people. There are people deciding I, I'm, you know, gonna I'm making this choice. And yeah, yeah, you could say that they're making the choice with return to play. But I think in in the midst of a global pandemic, like they shouldn't even be forced to make that choice, or the choice shouldn't be there for them. You should just have people say, yeah, this 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 is is just we're gonna have some common sense here. Yeah, it would be nice if there was a little more common sense here. That's my big takeaway. Uh, like, I understand that people who are exasperated and they just want sports back and, um, you know, like hockey is a dangerous sport. It's a violent sport. Like, when we watch hockey and uh, support it as consumers and all of that, we we accept that it's a sport that has, like, an inherent risk to its players, um, you know, just in terms just think of you know traumatic brain injury alone tbis alone and how prevalent they are in hockey um you know it's a sport played with knives on your feet on a you know what is it two inches or one inch of ice over you know a slab of concrete it's a very dangerous sport that has bare knuckle boxing you know interjected from time to time and all these things and we all love it um but there is something like we can talk about unacceptable risks, especially with sports. And there is a point where things get a little too far. Um, and yeah, I would think a global pandemic is cause for investigating that and asking hard questions like, do we need this to come back? Is this, you know, this, this, you know, inexpendable foundation of our society and our identity as, as a people that we need professional team sports to come back you know it's it's so much different than something like golf where you can really like you're social distancing in golf without social like without doing it intentionally but 
something like hockey is, you know, there's physical contact, there's all these things, you know, watching soccer return, like, yeah, you know, I, it would be, I'd be so much more comfortable if everyone was wearing masks, but we're not seeing that, and we, we won't see that in hockey, um, we know that coaches won't be expected to wear a mask behind the bench, and, um, you know, there's a lot of things that just make you, you know, it makes you understandably nervous, but yeah, I mean, we could talk about it for ages, but, I think it's it's only responsible and reasonable to say we're, we're really doing it. Are we sure? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure we should be doing it. I don't. I don't know. Um, I know how much money's on the line and all of that, and I know the the potential for sports to serve as this this salve that our society might need now more than ever. But uh, I'm not willing to risk the lives of. Uh, of strangers for it, Tom. I agree. And, and this is obviously something we could talk about forever. And it, it's just overwhelming TLDR, or in this case, you know, you were, you know, partially listening because you're doing this while you're driving or you're do you're listening to this while you're doing, you know, read or whatever you're doing. Um, there is a place in society for sports. No one's denying that. Um, but we need to be cognizant of what is most important. You can have a lot of different things to be important and have a place, but it's all about prioritizing them properly. Um, and we'll see. I'm skeptical because we've seen outbreaks in the small groups. We've seen outbreaks in the larger groups. Once a full training camp opens up, I'm sure we're going to see something. And let alone once the players settle in the hub cities, but um, it's a wait and see thing. And, and hopefully, if they can do it safely, great. I would hate if they can't do it safely and they forge on and they just try to cover up a lot of stuff. Because, from my understanding, there's not going to be any or, um, if so, limited media access. But, um, just hopefully they do the right thing. Yeah, I'm hopeful but not optimistic. Um, I hope that you and I are revealed to be worry warts and negative Nancys and all those things. And everything goes great. No one gets really sick. And uh, we wake up and all this is not as serious as it looked the day before. But until then, uh, wear a mask and maybe maybe head into things like this with extreme caution. Um that's generally my take. Um, but yeah, needless to say, it's been a very interesting week for the NHL in general and specifically for the Rangers because of uh, the Lindy Ruff situation. So who the hell knows what happens next time? <laughs> We're at that stage where, I don't know, it feels like every time, you know, whenever major news happens like this, I always think like, what the hell are Tom and I going to say about this? And, you know, it's just this repeating cycle of how crazy this whole situation is, you know, we use this word a lot in the show, unprecedented. This hasn't happened before. So everyone is just trying to do their best and navigate their way through this the best that they can. But holy hell, is this just a cluster um, by every stretch of the imagination? It is. And we will continue to try and find things to talk about. Um, we're very thankful for all of the people who support the show week after week. Um, 
especially our, our, our patrons. Uh, a six-foot gap, Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chicagoff, Andy White, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarner Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Jazen, David L. Singer, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Lippman, Igor Zavosky, James Dangle, uh, Jamie Bustle, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Predzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kush Tasta, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Kanick, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nick Antropov, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landl, Perennial Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel Seinberg, Sean, Stieg Bellback, Stink Flamen, Tall Guy Rob, then the Eric Carlson, the Ninjas Ninja, the Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kettner. Um, thank you again for for everyone um, who, who subscribes to the Patreon. Um, I know Mike is in the process of um, where me and Mike are, are we're thinking of of sending out some more stickers to all of you for for your support. Um, we're gonna try and design a new one. Um, something yeah, we're that, playing around with that idea. We I did just send out a. If you're one of the half dozen or so people who was due, you know, you're supposed to get a mug. It should hopefully get there by the end of end of the month, sometime around uh, uh, July 21st. Um, sent out some some mugs to our patrons who have, uh, you know, are eligible for those by the level of, you know, their patronship. And uh, I have to get a lot of little envelopes because I'm I'm fresh out, but. We hope to send out some stickers, and like Tom said, we're thinking of doing some different sticker designs. But you know, it's um, I can't I can't express enough how thankful we are for everyone's support on Patreon, um, especially those of you who have been with us for a long time. Um, it means a lot. The show may not seem like it, but it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time, and um, it really wouldn't be possible without you guys. And uh, we very, very deeply appreciate it, especially in times like these where Tom and I are, you know, in addition to what we do at Banter, we both try and find work writing about hockey elsewhere. And you may not be surprised to hear that you can't find that work right now. So, yeah. Yeah, echo Mike's thoughts. It's it's greatly appreciated. Um, everyone who who stuck around, um, you know, those who have had to to drop their support, we understand completely. Times are tough financially, um, and and you know, it's those who have even stuck around with us and had to decre- decrease their you know pledge per month, a hundred percent understand. Um, we still love you very much. Of course, we we love all I love of you, you more very than Tom. well. I didn't know you were going to say that, but um, it, it does really mean a lot. And I'm a tender lover. Oh, well, that's a good thing. Uh, over the the summer, going to sort of look at things that we can do differently, maybe with with merch and change up the tiers. Um, but as always, thank you very much, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, hopefully uh, a new NHL CBA. So you all take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll see you next week. Wear a mask, wash your hands, be good to each other. What Mike said, Joe is a well.